Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Great to be in the house of God with you guys this morning. Isn't it great to see Pastor Marcos back? He went out there to, to shepherd and oversee all our churches out there, and then in that he caught COVID uh, out there, but it's great to see that he's well. And he's, it, took him, it took him almost three months to get back. They wouldn't let him come back. We had better pray him back. He finally got back, and so we're excited um, for what the work's being done out there. And so um, just keep praying for our, our churches. We have some in Ethiopia, Uganda. Um, we've also support uh, a ministry in uh, India. I, was with, I know a pastor friend out there, and if you know, with all the COVID's going on, it's hit Africa, it's hit India, there's starvation, people are dying, so we send some money out to there where they're feeding, and they actually buy oxygen machines and all that stuff to help people with their health. So um, God's, God's been faithful to take care of, not only here in our country, but we want to be advocates and vessels which God can use to be able to spread the gospel and service those in other countries too. And so we're, we're just committed to, to the mission that God has given us this morning. Guys, I want to encourage you, if you haven't done it already, the 3D Men uh, study's coming up. If you haven't signed up, signed up. You need to get involved. Um, we want you to get involved. We want you to grow. We want you to learn. We want to be in community and fellowship. So I want to encourage you, if you haven't done that, uh, to, to sign up. And, and it's going to start, some are going to start this week. Some are going to start the following week. Um, but jump in somewhere so you can grow. Hey, turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to start there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, verses 16 through 18 this morning. Then we'll also jump into Matthew 6, which is the Lord's Prayer as we close. My message is titled, A Disciple in Prayer. Guys, when COVID hit, um, we went into a recession. We know that people lost their jobs. We know that businesses closed down. And people began to be sequestered into their own homes in fear. And their future was, was unknown. Before COVID, I believe the church was in a spiritual recession. Many didn't see the church as relevant or powerful. Specifically in the U.S., and during the COVID quarantine, the church wasn't even considered essential. The American church, I think, has gotten away from the desperate dependence of Christ. It's gotten away from the power of the Holy Spirit and away from intimate time in prayer. But there's hope. There's hope this morning. This spiritual recession is going to lead to spiritual revival. I want you to hear this. This spiritual recession is going to lead to spiritual revival. I believe God is using this past year as a means to prune the church, cutting off dead branches for it to grow exponentially. He's using this season to purify the church, to strengthen the church for revival. This revival will not come by our strategies and, and gimmicks, but by his spirit. It will, be, it will be preceded by the teaching of the word of God and prayer that will lead to a supernatural change through repentance, renewal of people's lives. You'll see the work you have never seen before, but it will not come without a cost. Jesus said this, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. The challenge for us is to seek the kingdom of God. We seek the kingdom first by word and prayer. And his righteousness, that's the act of the word in prayer. I mean, we do it by fellowship and service. And the promise given to us is that we, he will take care of us. These four disciplines, 
Word, prayer, fellowship, service are key to our spiritual development and the life of the church. Listen, our private time before Christ will present a good public testimony before people. Our time in privacy will empower us for a public witness. And the first two disciplines of the word and prayer are crucial to the successful, victorious walk. I want, you to see, I want you to hear this this morning. You see, the word without prayer is direction without power. And prayer without the word is power without direction. The two need to go together. These first two disciplines set the foundation and groundwork for great revival. Last week, we looked at the disciple in the word. This morning, we're going to look at the disciple in prayer. And so we're going to continue our, our sermon series on discipleship. And we have discovered there is a cost in discipleship. Christ is not into casual, lukewarm discipleship, but he's looking for a deep relationship with his followers. So we begin to look at some disciplines to build a relationship with Christ. As we looked last week at the word, this morning we look at prayer. Next week we're going to look at fellowship and service. I want to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting at verse 16 to 18. It's a very short, but very to the point, as Paul the Apostle is writing to the Thessalonican church says this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this morning, for your love, your blessings, your goodness, your mercy, your grace. We thank you for our time of worship as we continue to worship you in the word. We pray that your spirit would speak this morning as we look at the issue of prayer. Father, we look at your heart regarding prayer. We look at your will regarding prayer this morning, and I pray that the message we hear from your word will challenge us even in our own prayer life, in our own prayer walk. And so I pray this morning that your saints are willing to listen. Give them ears to hear this morning. Father, you have a word for them. You have a rima for them. You have something for them to strengthen them, to encourage them, to refuel them. Father, we want to give, you, give them something for, for a tool for their, for their warfare belt, Lord, we want to armor up for the things that you've given us. And prayer is one of those tools. So we pray this morning, Lord, that we would receive your word. We thank you. We praise you. We honor, we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Guys, we're going to look at three things this morning as regards to prayer. The first one is this, that a disciple understands that God's will for us to pray. A disciple understands it is God's will for us to pray. We see that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Lou Nichols was a famous missionary. He would journal in his journal every time, and he journaled this prayer. He said this, Dear God, so far today I've done all right. I haven't gossiped, lost my temper, been nasty or selfish, but in a few minutes I'm going to get out of bed, and from then on I'm going to need your help. <laughs> Guys, this morning we need the help of prayer. We need to be in the presence of God. And we're called to pray without ceasing. Because we know that the prayer of a righteous person prevaileth much. That's what the scripture says. But the question I bring to you this morning is, have you made prayer a priority? It's something I think we know in our mind, but has been placed in our hearts. Because many of us this morning struggle, does prayer really work? It reminds me of a, a little boy who built this go-kart, a little wooden go-kart. He was on top of the hill, and he was driving down and going down the hill, and he lost control, and he hit a tree right in front of a church, and the wheels popped off. 
And he said, I'll be darned. Well, there was a pastor watching and he said, son, don't say that. Next time say, praise the Lord. And so the kid put the wheels, fixed his car. Next day came down, came down the hill again, lost control, hits the tree, wheels pop off. He says, praise the Lord. The wheels pop back on. And the pastor says, I'll be darned. <laughs> Some of us pray like that. Like we say we're supposed to pray, but we don't believe that prayer works. Listen, we forget that the Lord called his temple a house of prayer. Jesus affirms that when he goes into the temple and he turns the temple, or he turns the tables or the money change, he turns over and says, you made my, my house a dentist's instead of a house of prayer. God's house is a house of prayer. He didn't call it a, a house of worship. He called it a house of prayer. He didn't call, even call it a house of preaching, but a house of prayer. And sometimes there's very, very little prayer going on in the house. Listen, Ian Bounds said this, God's house is a house of prayer. God's work is a work of prayer. The famous author who wrote about prayer. And so when you come to the 16th verse, the first lesson, that first Thessalonians chapter five, it says, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing everything. Give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. But I want to reverse that verse because that's going to be my outline for the first point. Let's look at it in reverse. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And everything give thanks Pray without ceasing and rejoice always. You will discover that joy and prayer and thankfulness are all interconnected. They're interconnected. And so 1 Thessalonians 5, he gives us three things that are God's will. And we're going to look at them in a moment. But the question I bring to you is then, what is God's will for us? What is God's will for this morning for us? We have many scriptures that reference his will for us. Matthew 28, 19, we studied. It's his will that we make disciples. That's the premise of what we're talking about now. Go make disciples of all nations. We know that's his will. That's his desire. Romans 12, 1 and 2, we know his will is that we'd have a renewed mind. We know that's his will. Thessalonians 4, 3, we know that God's will is purity and sanctification and consecration. We know him. 1 Peter 2.15, God's will is to do good. In fact, in 1 Peter 3, said it's God's will to even suffer while we're doing good. Some people don't like to hear that one. But the Apostle John in 1 John 2.17 says, he who does the will of God will abide forever. So we know that it's God's will that has power in our prayer. We know that God's will plays a key role in answered prayer. In fact, you only have to read 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. It says this, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. I want you, I hope you hear that and underline that verse, because a lot of times when we pray, are we praying in alignment with his will, his desire? We're going to talk about in a moment how there's wrong prayer and not right prayer. We have to know his will. How do we know his will? We know his will by the word. We know his will by prayer. We know his will by God speaking to us and, and fellowship and community. He speaks in his will. He speaks through all those mediums to speak out his will. And so we need to line ourselves up with God's will. We know that's exactly what Jesus did in the garden prior to his death, was it not? Not my will, but thy will. That was his, his prayer. 
He requested a, another way to go to the cross, but he said, God, if this is not your way, align my heart, align my will up with your will. And he put his father's desires before his desires. And for it was God's will for him to, to go to the cross. And so he submitted himself to the will of his father. See, prayer is not about changing the father's heart, but about the father changing our heart. I want you to hear that. Prayer this morning Prayer is not about changing the Father's heart, but about the Father changing our hearts. So here's the thing here this morning. It's God's will that we have a thankful heart. It's God's will that we have a thankful heart. Spurgeon said this, when joy and prayer are married, their firstborn child is thankfulness. <laughs> it's thankfulness this morning. <laughs> and so it's God's will for us to be thankful because the thankful heart goes a long way. It says, be thankful in everything. The New Living Translation says, be thankful in all circumstances. We are thankful because we know God is in control. We're thankful because we know that God is sovereign. He sees the beginning from the end. He sees the whole circumstances that we are in. And we believe, by his scriptures, we believe all things work out for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28, that famous verse. That God's working it all out for the good. It may not appear at that moment that that's happening in your life. I want you to think about, think about the circumstances you're facing right now. Can you be thankful? I want you to think about what you're in right now. Can you be thankful? If you say no, maybe your perspective is wrong. Maybe your perspective is wrong. Maybe you fail to see how you might be in the process of somebody else's prayer about you. Maybe you fail to see that God is doing a good work in you. Maybe God is using these circumstances to draw you closer to God. Maybe you're here this morning because of your circumstances. Maybe you had nowhere else to go or nowhere else to turn. Can you be thankful? In Luke chapter 17, it was the sickness of leprosy that drew a man, his circumstances drew a man to the presence of Jesus, and Jesus healed him of his leprosy, and he gave thanks. Maybe it's your circumstances that bring you into the presence of Jesus that you might just be made well this morning. Can you give thanks? No matter your circumstances, we can be thankful because it could be worse. It could be worse, Right? We are to enter God's presence with thanksgiving. Paul would often open up many of his letters to the saints by giving thanks to God in prayer for all the saints. Many of his prayers came when he was in a prison cell giving thanks. Just read the, the prison epistles, Colossians, Philippians, right? Psalm 105, one says this, Oh, give thanks to the Lord and call upon his name. Think about Jesus. Jesus was grieving when he lost one of his friends named Lazarus. And he came, he came to the grave. And before praying, he, uh, for praying, before he prayed to raise Lazarus up, it says this, Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you. You have heard me. Jesus said, I thank you. You have heard me. And then he raised Lazarus from dead through prayer, right? Thankfulness sets the mood for a prayerful heart. Thankfulness sets the mood for a prayerful heart. God, give me a thankful heart this morning. No matter what my circumstances and situations, let me just give thanks. 
But here's another thing. It's God's will that we have a consistent prayer life. It's God's will that we have a consistent prayer life, right? He says, pray without ceasing in the passage. This is the will of Christ is that you be everything thankful to everything and pray without ceasing, right? Philip Henry says, pray alone, let prayers be the key of the morning and the bolt at night, in the morning and the evening, right? But a lot of us find it difficult to have a consistent prayer life. Now, Paul is not saying here that you become a monk and hide yourself in a cave, that you isolate yourself, and that you're praying 24 hours, and you're giving off all this. That's not what he's saying here. We often think too sometimes that prayer is something that we do at church, and prayer has to be where you're closing your eyes, and you're maybe putting your hands together, or maybe you're on your knees, and there's a time for that. But prayer is wider than that, right? Pray, praying without ceasing is a continual prayer, right? Why did Jesus in the garden tell his disciples to watch and pray? Watch what's going on and pray, right? But they fell asleep. Some of us are sleeping when we should be praying. And so he's challenged us this morning. Praying without ceasing can mean having a communion all day long with the Lord. We are praying as we go about our day. We are in constant communication with God. Prayer is like oxygen as we breathe without ceasing. We must pray without ceasing. It's like oxygen. You don't think about it. You just do it. What he's challenging us here is that we are never to abandon prayer. Never stop praying. Keep seeking. Keep asking. Keep knocking. That's the challenge he's given us here. So my question is this is, Maybe you don't know how to pray or you don't know what to pray for. Well, maybe for those who read the newspaper, you just need to read the newspaper. For those on social media, you just got to read the news. Look to the news and you'll know what you need to pray for. Rock around your community, you know what you need to pray for. Pray for whatever you see, your neighbors, your coworkers. When you're driving in traffic, some of you, that prayer is your anger management. Prayer, prayer this morning is the challenge to release pent-up tension, sorrows, and difficulties. That's what prayer does. That's why Philippians 4, 6 says what? Be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything, but in everything in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. We are to pray consistently and persistently. You think of the parable Jesus spoke in Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 18. You can read it later, but basically it speaks of a widow who consistently and persistently made requests to, to a judge about justice, about making things right. And her persistent, continued requesting to the judge stirred up the judge. And the judge says this in verse 5, this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. She was a, a, she's always in the ear of that judge, you know? Now, I'm not saying that you're gonna, I'm just saying be consistent and persistent with God. Don't give up. Abraham, stop that. If there were only 10 righteous men in Sodom and Gomorrah, what if there's only 10 righteous men? There weren't 10, but there were five. What if he just kept going? What if he just kept praying? 
Guys, many of you know that I prayed for my parents for 38 years for them to come to know Jesus. 38 years. You got to keep praying and keep asking and keep seeking and keep knocking and don't give up. We're called to pray earnestly. We're called to pray and not lose hearts. We need desperate prayer in times to change the tide of our nation. The tide of, we need to be people of prayer. Leaders in China said this about America. Christians in China are praying for our Christian brothers and sisters in America. We believe we are handling our persecution better than you are handling your prosperity. Let me read that again. Christians in China are praying for our Christian brothers and sisters in America. We believe we are handling our persecution better than you are handling your prosperity. Our prosperity might just be the very thing that is our demise. I believe busyness is, is, is the enemy's strategy to keep you from praying. Busyness. If Satan can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. It's a misnomer to think you're too busy to pray. That's also a great mistake. For praying is actually saving time. It's actually saving our time. Martin Luther, the, the great reformer, said this, I have so much to do today that I shall never get through it with less than three hours of prayer prayer. Guys, I'll, I'll challenge you with this. I believe you're more, I believe you spend time with prayer, you'll get more accomplished in your day because God will redeem your time if you spend time with him. That's why it's supernatural. God will accomplish more in your prayer time for your work time. For those who, who struggle with sleeping at night, some of you saw me ask, you guys can't sleep. And I, I talk to people, I can't sleep. I can't sleep. I guess then start praying and then God will refresh you like you slept for eight hours. Here's the other thing is it talks about rejoicing. It's God's will that you have a joyful heart. Rejoice is another word for joy. It says rejoice always in the passage. It means to be glad always. Joy is actually the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. Joy will be the outcome of our prayer life. In fact, Paul commands this. Pray always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. He challenges us to pray all prayers and supplication in the spirit. In the spirit. That our, our prayers need to be spirit-led. The spirit, the Holy Spirit, is what guides our prayer. And in the Holy Spirit, if we're walking in the spirit and praying in the spirit, you're going to experience great joy. Because now your heart and mind is aligning up with God's heart and mind. And we find great joy when we pray because Romans 12, 12 says rejoice in hope, patience and tribulation. Continue to stand fastly in prayer. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans 14, 17. See, when you pray, something supernatural begins to happen within you when you pray. And you get to experience great joy. Great, great gladness. But you have to understand this in Christ. In Christ, the enemy cannot rob us of our joy. In fact, James writes what? In one, two, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. What? Be glad always when I go through difficulties? You cannot think unless that unless you're of the spirit and understand it. For those in this world, like, I'm going through trials and tribulation. How can I find joy? Because you're walking through that trial and tribulation in the flesh and not in the spirit. 
fact, Jesus modeled this very thing in Hebrews. Chapter 12, verse 2, he says, Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It was all joy that Jesus went to the cross. All joy. I don't think when we watch it, it's a very joyful experience. But he counted all joy because you were his greatest joy. So in Christ, circumstances cannot rob us of our joy when we walk with that thankfulness, when we're praying. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Nehemiah wrote that. The rejoicing in the joy is our way of celebrating the work of God. We're rejoicing in the work of God. We're thankful for the work of God. Regardless of the circumstances and the situations that we're facing today. Prayer is the, the stimulus package for our joy. I know when you got that stimulus package, I know you were joyful. <laughs> it ignites it because we focus on the supernatural work of God. It renews our vision, prayer. It refocuses our vision. Gets our eyes back onto Jesus. It recalibrates our life when we start to pray. That's just my first point. Here's my second point. A misunderstanding, point number two, a misunderstanding of what prayer is. Turn to James chapter, we're going to jump a little bit, James 4, 3 first. You know, we could treat prayer like a courtesy call, like saying the national anthem before a game or like when we pray over our food or it, or it can be used like a AAA card when we get in trouble. We pull it out when there's a, an emergency. Prayer can be used for selfish motives to gain what we want. When we pray for our will, not his will. Listen, prayer is not rubbing a lamp and a genie comes out and gives us what we want. That's not prayer. That's called manipulation. We're not here to try to manipulate God to get what we want. There are three things I think as it relates to misunderstanding of prayer that I want you to see this morning. Number one, prayer is not self-seeking. It's not self-seeking. James 4, 3 says, when you ask, you do not get or receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend it on, on what you get on your own pleasures. He's challenging the motive of prayer here, James is. We can pray, not in the spirit, we can pray in our own flesh, with our own agenda. How many of you made bargains with God? If you just get me out of this situation, I'll follow you. How many, you may try to make deals with God, if you just do this, I will do this. And half the time, you don't keep your agreement when he does do it. More than half, Pastor Brent says. I think this is the struggle that many believers have about prayer. And I think what happens is it becomes a stumbling block in their own walk because if God doesn't answer their prayer, he must not be a loving or true God. I mean, I, I battled that in my own personal life when I lost my mom to, to uh, murder through my stepfather. Well, God, where were you before I came to know the Lord? Where were you when my mom died? Hey, God, where were you when I prayed for cancer for my stepmom to be healed? Why didn't you heal her, God? Are you not a loving God? Do you not heal? Do you not hear my prayers? And there's circumstances, situations you cry out to God for, and maybe he doesn't give you the answer that you want. But God is still sovereign. He, has, he sees the whole picture. See, when Lazarus 
resurrected in, in chapter 11 of John. God raised them up. They probably were rejoicing. Answer prayer. Mary and Martha, answer prayer. Go to chapter 12. What do you discover? They wanted to kill John again. I don't know. If I was in heaven, stay away from the light. They were like, why'd you pray me back? It was all cool. And now I got to die twice? And they're coming after me? You didn't do me any good. I'm just kind of speculating with that one. But sometimes we pray for things that God sees what the end of that will be. He says, that's not going to be good for you. You may not see it, but God sees it. Thank God he doesn't always give us what we pray for. And so I think people have a wrong understanding of the character of God. In Acts chapter 8, you remember Simon the sorcerer? There was a great work of God going on by prayer and laying on hands and speaking in tongues and miracles and God doing it. And Simon the sorcerer was like, dang, look at the power. When they pray, things happen on them. And so Simon goes to Peter and says, hey, I got some, some bank. I got some Benjamins in my pocket. I want to buy that. Let me buy that power. Let me buy the technique or the strategy you're using to get, to get power. And Peter rebuked him of that thinking because he tried to purchase the power of the, of the Holy Spirit. He wanted it for selfish gain. It's for selfish gain. Some of us pray for selfish gain. Here's another way we have a misunderstanding of prayer. Prayer is not for a prideful prayer. Look at Luke chapter 18, verse 10, if you're following your scriptures. It says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even the tax collector. I fast twice a week. I, I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For anyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The prayer in church, that's what's going on here in the temple. A religious man. Glad I'm not like that brother over there. Look, you know, he, he all doing crazy stuff. Self-righteous, hypocritical prayer. Arrogant prayer. The heart of God is humility. <laughs> you see the task of like, Forgive me, Lord, for I'm a sinner. The honesty before the Lord in prayer. The humbleness before God, not the arrogance before God. God heard the prayer of the, the task gatherer before the religious man. We can pray arrogantly. We can pray pridefully. We can pray that way. We can come through the throne of grace in our own confidence. God is looking for a broken and a contrite heart a contrite prayer. Here's another misnomer. Prayer is not a repetitive prayer. Matthew 6, 7 says this, and when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think they will be heard for their many words, right? We know there's a time for private prayer. We know there's a time for public prayer. In fact, if we go all the way back to verse five of this Matthew uh, chapter six, it gives us warning about self-righteous prayers. It's talking about these hypocrites that came, right? And there's time for public prayer and there's time for private prayer. 
There's time where we go in the closets. But let me tell you something. Prayer is not a mantra. Prayer is not a chat, chant that you chant. And if I just say the Lord's Prayer over and over and over again, it's going to be this magical prayer. It's not a magical prayer. It's a model prayer. We're going to get that in a moment. Some people think if I could just say this a whole bunch of times that God will answer me and we repeat it. It's like you just keep, you're finding your power in the prayer instead of the power of the Spirit moving through your prayer. A lot of faith religions pray through beads and chants and all these different things thinking that that makes them more holy. Don't waste your saliva like that. <laughs> That's laborious. I'm not saying that prayer isn't laborious. Don't get me wrong. If you read the story of Elijah the prophet who when there was no rain wanted to bring rain, talks about him being on a mountain putting his heads between his knees praying. He kept praying. Like, what do you see? Nothing. Praying. We see a little cloud. Praying. A little bigger cloud. Oh, rain's coming. But the point that Jesus is making in this is that we sometimes feel like the mechanics of prayer is what, what we get involved in instead of what prayer really is, the intimate relationship with God. And so turn to Matthew chapter 6. As we look at the disciple puts prayer into practice, Here, here's this model we have of prayer, what our prayer can include. It's a model of prayer, right? There was a young man who had come to church, and he wasn't a churchgoer his first time. And when prayer time came and it was his turn, he didn't know what to say. So he said, so he said this, dear big man in the sky, I don't know if you're real, but if you can't hear me, I could use a little help down here. Just checking in. Thank you. One of the ladies in the church said, that was the worst prayer I've ever heard. And this young man's response was this, wasn't talking to you. <laughs> Listen, prayers are communion with God. Some of us may struggle with prayer. Some of us may don't know what to say in prayer. But first of all, the heart of it is to be with God in prayer be authentic in our prayer, to be real in our prayer. It's our, prayer is God's invitation to, to have fellowship with him. Prayer is our walk with God, is our communion with God. Prayer is an act of worship. That's why we include prayer in our service, that it's our time to be alone and to check our own hearts. It's prayer is our examination prior to going to communion. Prayer is an examination to hear the word. Prayer is preparing us for something that God has for us. Now, the problem with prayer is sometimes we do all the talking and we don't do any listening, right? If I were to call my wife or make a phone call her and I want to talk with my wife and I say, hey, let me tell you about my day. This is what I did. This is what happened. Okay, see you later. Bye. <laughs> and some of you might have a relationship with like that. I don't know. But sometimes our relationship like that is with God. We, we just dump on him and then we don't listen for an answer. John 10 says, let the sheep hear his voice. So you need it when your prayer time, you, you need to have time where you're stopping and listening too. Guys, you need to have a time where you're stopping and listening to him to might give you a scripture, might give you something for you to have in the things that you're requesting. Don't just bum rush him, bum rush him with the request and then walk out on him. In fact, we have to have a place for prayer. Look at verse six of Matthew six. But when you pray, go into your room and when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. A 
secret place. Now, I guess there's private prayer, prayer and there's public prayer. It's both. But where's your secret place? Where do you go that you can have time with God? It might be different places for you. Some of you might go to the beach. Some might go to your office. Some might go to your bedroom. Some might come here. Where's that place? Sometimes we have to shut everything out to have time with God. Parents, I know, moms, I know it's hard to shut it out when you got kids. Shut it out when you're at work. It's kind of, but I'm telling you, you got to have moments in your day where you have, where you just defrag your mind and say, Lord, I've got to prepare myself in the morning and in the evening. My time with you. This morning I got up and was just reading and praying for this morning, praying, and people came to my mind that I haven't seen in a while. You know what I did? The Lord was speaking names to my mind. I just started texting them. Hey, miss you. Praying for you this morning. Boom, 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 boom. But it says, the Father sees in secret will reward you openly. Reward you openly. That there's this investment in prayer is key. Notice Jesus didn't say when you pray, but didn't say, didn't say if you pray, he said when you pray. So there was already expectation that you were going to pray in the passage. Jesus modeled this very thing. He wasn't asking the disciples to do something that he, he did not do himself. Mark 135 says, Now in the morning, having risen long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Jesus would do that often. And later he would say, I would not do anything unless my father told me. So prayer was his time before the Lord so the Lord could speak to go out and do what he needed to do. To get the counsel, to get the wisdom, right? It says that you pray, and when you shut the door, you pray to your Father. Our, our prayer is directed to the Father. We know that the Trinity is involved in our prayer time. Our Father in heaven, we, it's to our Father. We pray in Jesus' name, and we pray in the Spirit. The Trinity is involved in our prayer. That's God. But we also know this, Hebrews 4, 16 says this, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. The presence of God is called the throne of grace. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. We can come to the throne of grace with our concerns. It's a safe place. It's a safe place with God to share your brokenness and your burdens and your pains and your victories and your struggles. It's a sacred place. God's not going to put it on blast, right? He's not going to put your mess on blast. I know how some people pray, Lord, I pray for Susie. She's out messing around at the bars, Lord. You know, <laughs> prayers put people on blast, right? <laughs> some of you be praying like, man, you're doing a sermon in your prayer. If you look at the Lord's prayer, it's only like 30 seconds long, about 65 words. It says a lot about keeping our prayers brief. Zeke, I think it's uh, Ecclesiastes talks about keep your speech, your words few. That <laughs> stuff. But God will reward you in your time. Anna cried out in her secret place, and God provided her a child. But it started in her secret place. But let's look at the practice of prayer. Jump to verse 9 in Matthew 6 as we close. So we look at the Lord's prayer. Nowhere in the scriptures did the disciples ask Jesus to teach them how to preach, to prophesy, or to cast demons. But they did ask him to teach them how to pray. Why do you think they asked that specific question? Because they watched the power of Jesus' prayer. 
When you pray, crazy stuff happens. Teach us how to pray like that. Teach us how to pray like that. And this is Jesus' model of prayer. Like I said, it's not a mantra. It's not a magical prayer. If you say it 10 times, something will happen. This is a short prayer packed with great power, and it covers a span of what we need to pray for in our time with the Lord. Let's read it. In this manner, therefore pray our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forget our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. A couple of things here, guys. Verse 9. Prayer starts with a person. I don't know if you can see it on the screen, but it's a, say number one, see verse 9 to see a person. Jesus. We're praying to the Father, right? The Father. Another word, Abba. Abba, Father. Papa. It's an intimate relationship there. Who's in heaven. And holy is your name. God, you are holy God. We're adoring him. You're, we're honoring you. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Hallow is your name. We see the character of God mentioned right away in the prayer. Guys, we start off with acknowledging, Father in heaven, thank you. We acknowledge who you are and that you're holy. And then in verse 10, you see his purpose, right? You see his purpose in, in verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's his, his purpose. You know, the church's purpose is a little bit to bring the kingdom around people that they can taste who God is. Your kingdom come as earth is as in heaven. The church should be a reflection of the kingdom. Where is the kingdom? Wherever the king is. Where is the king? Within. I rep the kingdom, and wherever I go, I'm repping the kingdom of God. I'm bringing Jesus' presence wherever I go. That kingdom come, that your will be done. There's two wills in our life, his will and our will, right? And that's the battle, the battle between the flesh and the spirit. God, let my life line up with your will today. I know that's your purpose. I know that's your will. I know that's your desire. Verse 11, what does verse 11 say? Give us this day our daily bread. I call that provision and petition. Provision and petition. Notice it says, give us our daily bread. It didn't say give me, but it say give us. It's, it's a community. This prayer is about community. Give us this, this daily bread. Care for our needs and the needs of others. The, day, the daily needs. Teach us to be dependent on you, God. We need your daily bread because you are the bread of life. It didn't say give me the bread for tomorrow. It didn't say give me the bread for the whole month. Just give me what I need for today because today's enough. Daily bread. I think we worry because we worry about tomorrow, but tomorrow's not here yet. Let's just deal with today. Okay, let's focus on today. Give us the manna for today. When God provided manna from heaven when they wandered in the wilderness, he provided for the day. He said, don't get it for enough for tomorrow, but what worry and fear, they gathered it up for two days, and when it came, it all turned to worms. When the Israelites wandered in the wilderness. Lord, you're teaching us to be dependent upon you. I think we've gotten away. We've been dependent on our education. We've been dependent on our pocketbook. We're dependent on our jobs. We're dependent on a lot of things, but sometimes we're not dependent upon God. 
That's called idolatry. We put other things before God. We got to be dependent on everything in our life depends on God. Look at verse 12. Give us, uh, and forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors. That's pardon, right? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. We talked about that today. We need to forgive ourselves. God has forgiven us. And we need to forgive others. He included that in his prayer, Jesus, because he knew the power of unforgiveness. He knew the power of bitterness. He knew the power of anger. He knew the power of that in our life and that we needed to have an outlet to forgive. Because if we don't forgive, it'll turn into bitterness. Bitterness will turn to hate. Hate will turn into sin. Ultimately, it could be turned into murder. If he actually, Jesus said, if you don't forgive others, I will not forgive you. He knew that's the power of forgiveness. When we come before the cross, when we come before him, we ask for forgiveness and God made a, a way to be forgiven, to, to wipe out those things in our lives that have gotten away. The Bible says this in Psalm 66, what does it say? That if you have iniquity in your hearts, God will not hear your prayers. It even says, husbands, if you don't treat your wives right, God will not hear your prayers. So there's a way of forgiveness that raises that so God's power can work through our prayer time. It's by forgiveness. Forgiveness to those that have hurt us. Some of us have held on some deep-rooted things and we need to ask God to forgive. Verse 13, part, first part. And do not lead us in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's protection, right? That's protection. Temptation means testing. Temptation is not a sin. After Jesus was baptized, he came out of the water and says the, the spirit led him into the desert to be tested or tempted. Matthew 4, Luke 4, read the story of the process of temptation. But he's saying, Lord, keep us from this temptation. Deliver us from these things. Protect us from these things. Set us free. It is not to tempt, but deliver us from evil in our minds of what we think, in our nature to what we want to do. Lord, we come to you. We need to walk in your spirit so my mind doesn't go this way or my behaviors doesn't go this way. Or I don't be entrapped by these things. Deliver me from these things. God, deliver me from myself. And then he closes the prayer for your, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That has to do with praise and preeminence. Your glory forever. The proclamation of praise of God and the supremacy and superiority of God. God, you're, 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 you're the man. You're it. There's no other God but you. He closes that prayer. That's just a, a model prayer that Jesus has given us. You can take that outline and use it in your prayer. There's other models that we can follow. Some of you are familiar with the ACTS model, A-C-T-S, right? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. There's intercession and supplication. Intercession, praying for others. And supplication, praying for ourselves. Guys, we need this more than ever in the church. Prayer in the church and the disciple is committed to that prayer life. So I leave you with these three thoughts and these three challenges this morning as we break in communion.
It's God's will that we pray. We just learned that. Here's the question. What desire do you need to change to align with God's will this week? What desire do you need to change to align with God's will this week? Here's the second thing. God corrects our view on prayer. Have you changed your view on prayer this morning? What has changed your thought about what you learned this morning? Maybe you discovered, maybe I'm praying the wrong thing or maybe I'm praying in the wrong manner. Here's the third thing. God gives us a model of prayer. What next steps do you need to take this week to be intentional about your prayer life? Guys, I'm giving you some application this morning. Looking at the prayer, looking at what we just learned, what are the steps you're going to make to make your prayer life a priority? Because I asked that question, is your prayer life a priority earlier? And my challenge is that for you this morning. Maybe take five minutes, maybe take 10 minutes, and then you'll grow into that communion with God. Let's pray. Father heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you for your love and your blessings. We thank you for your goodness and mercy and grace. Lord, we thank you that you've given us the ability to have access to your throne. Father, when you were crucified, there was an earthquake. And in that earthquake, Lord, the, the curtain that was in front of the most holies of holies that only the high priest could go to ripped. And that was your invitation that we could enter into your presence by the blood of Jesus. That Jesus was the mediator between man and God. And in doing so, Lord, now we have access to the presence, to the face with God like Moses when he went up to the mountain and he experienced your presence. We have access like the prophets we have access like the disciples to your presence, Jesus. Father, you've given us this tool of prayer, Lord, to protect and to provide and to praise and to petition. Lord, I pray this morning your people received your word that their spiritual tool belts were filled with another tool in their own walk and intimacy with you, Lord. As they spend time with you, Lord, in your word and in prayer, may you bring to light the things that brings transformation of a heart, the work that needs to be done within, not without. So we commit ourselves to you to pray, but we want to be a praying church.